Welcome to Consensus, a podcast from Census Technologies. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a podcast brought to you by Census Technologies. I'm your host for today, Gabrielle, and right now I'm thrilled to be joined by Mary Ann Drosnock, who's Director of Clinical Affairs at Healthmark, as well as Kelly Swales, who's Clinical Business Manager at Census. And today we're going to be talking about uh, updates that we're having to any ST91 guidelines. Uh, so here to uh, elaborate on this subject and provide any and all actionable industry insights are uh, Kelly and Mary Ann. So welcome, ladies. Thank, Thank you. you. Absolutely. So to start off, uh, both Kelly and Marianne, we'll go ahead and start uh, with you, Kelly. Just give us a brief introduction of name, a title, uh, your role, kind of what a day-to-day is, and uh, what brought you um, to the current role you have now, as well as just your expertise. Yeah. So I work for Census Technologies, um, which is SensorTrack as our main product. And in my role as clinical business manager, what I do is I go out and visit customers and I do clinical assessments to see how they are utilizing uh, SensorTrack or Loaner Link or ScopeTrack Advanced, um, any, any other products that they have of ours. I then uh, put together an assessment report for them and then send a trainer on site and then they train based on that assessment. Along with that then is I'm kind of our, one of our go-tos for Amy guidelines and anything with standards. Um, and as far as I've worked for Census, uh, almost seven years and started my career in healthcare as a scrub tech. And then went into soil processing, went into leadership and kids were raised and thought, I wanna travel. I wanna do, educate and do something different. And so started out with census, uh, doing census track implementations for new customers. And then through the years, I've had various roles, been in this one for four years and love it. Wow, fantastic. Thanks so much. And Marianne. Yeah, so I am the Director of Clinical Affairs, as you said, at Healthmark Industries. And um, in that role, we focus on the education of internal and external customers on best practices, standards, guidelines, um, really reach out to customers in the healthcare field, do a lot of informal audits that we call consultative practice reviews or CPRs. Um, So I'm out in the field a lot seeing what the current practices are. I've been in this role of education with Healthmark for eight years now. I love it. I also get to travel the world um, as part of it, which is fantastic, and and still be able to get out to those clinical facilities, which is great to stay current. I was the chair, the co-chair of ST91 from Amy in that document for about nine years from 2013, so its initial inception, up through the release of the second edition, which although it has a 2021 date, came out last year in 2022. Uh, And then with that, I was uh, retired from my role. I was a little overdue from that anyway. Uh, Give somebody else a chance to do that. Um, So uh, I'm still actively involved in the working group that writes ST91. We're working on a technical information reports on the processing of probes and dilators right now. So that's exciting. We'll have more guidance coming out on that. Um, And staying active in the field. I'm also the alternative member on the FDA uh, panel for GI and urology scopes. That's fantastic. Thank you. Well, uh, this next question is for both of y'all. So can you talk a little bit about endoscopes in general? Just what are some of the main challenges, uh, more specifically when it comes with reprocessing and using these instruments? Let's go ahead and start with you, Kelly. So I think one of the main things I'm seeing when I'm visiting customers and just in my experience too, it always comes down to that cleaning 
It's the cleanies. Okay. That's the challenge. Mm -hmm. That's the, you know, is being able to get it clean. Um, thrilled that ST91 now has where um, it clearly states that your flexible scopes that are going to be sterilized, so such as a cystoscope, that you should be doing a cleaning verification test on that. Mm -hmm. As I visit customers, um, I would say probably 80% of them are not. Mm. And so then that's part of one of the things that I find. And, and while I'm not there for so much that compliance, I'm showing them how they can document that in SenseTrack or they can document in ScopeTrack Advanced, either one of those. And they're able then to document that ETP test, that number, or if it is a like a channel check, that mm -hmm. pass fail. And so that's been one of the biggest challenges I think with customers is always, it's always the cleaning. Yeah, I completely echo that. The cleaning is definitely our biggest challenge and we know it's the most important step in the process. But you know, historically we haven't had that acceptance of cleaning verification. So the standards have really driven uh, the industry to doing that, as Kelly said, with the uh, with the high risk scopes, those being sterilized and even those not being sterilized, like your um, <clears throat> your duodenoscopes and your ultrasound scopes and bronchoscopes, there's now that requirement in ST91 to do a cleaning verification test every time. But we have these the documented outbreaks that have occurred with, uh, with flexible endoscopes and it's continuing to this day. So we know we have to do better. And so implementing the quality steps within ST ST91 will help us get there but it's a challenge for facilities to do that. We're requiring a lot more steps of them. Mm -hmm. It takes more time and inherently then it's gonna cost more money. Um, and you know, for that, I apologize, but we know we have to do better. We have these reports, we have published evidence that says the rates of infection are higher than we ever thought. So we know we have to build the quality in at every step along the way. You know, building the quality is so very important to these steps that you're talking about. Well, Marianne, can you talk a little bit more about Amy and just the work you do to enhance uh, overall, um, creating a, a better environment for patient safety, uh, patient safety experience, uh, but also uh, enhancing compliance uh, yeah. overall. Yeah, that's a great question. And so Amy is the Association for the Advancement in Medical Instrumentation, and they're our national standards body that writes consensus documents on topics that are near and dear to our hearts in the, in the medical device processing world and beyond that, anything really to do with medical devices, whether it be in a healthcare facility, or there are also standards for the manufacturers of the devices and, and how to comply with that. So um, as I alluded to earlier, we started talking about a group for endoscopes back in 2012, and we brought um, the request to the table to start a TIR, a technical information report. But that was about the same time that all the scope infections started being reported in 2012 in 2013. So we quickly moved that from a, uh, from an information report, a TIR, to a full standard. And we were able to get that document to publication then for 2015, that was the first one. But we were still learning and we were still moving so fast with everything that was being reported and published that we knew we had to do better. So we reconvened that group right away then in 2015 and started working on the next version of that document. And the working group brings together not only manufacturers, you have representatives from the user facilities. We have, whether it be scope manufacturers or AER, the automated endoscope reprocessor manufacturers. We have FDA, we have the different professional societies, HSPA, AORN, a uh, all on there. APIC, 
So we have this buy-in and this consensus from everyone who's at, this, at the table together discussing what do we know, what does the literature support, what can we do to, to make things better for patient safety. So we were able to get that document approved at the end of 2021. Um, and then it went through copy editing. And so it actually was released in 2022, in March of 2022, as a complete replacement for the original 2015. It's much more comprehensive, has a, a great more steps in it that are requirements and recommendations. And we can talk about what the differences are between those, but many more requirements and, and just really beefed up that language. And I do want to talk a little bit more about that as well as the Amy ST91 uh, guidelines. Uh, when was the ST91 uh, published as well as what was the genesis of the update? Yeah. So it, it, like I said, it has a 2021 date on it. So ST91 2021, although it was actually published in 2022. So it's been a bit of a confusion for people. We're talking about the yeah. same version of that document and that completely replaces the original 2015 version. But as I said, their changes were happening so fast and and many more studies going on in our industry to, to support the changes that we know have to be made. And so that quickly progressing situation is what prompted the next change. We knew there was data now to support what we knew we had to do from the beginning, but just wasn't there at the time. And we needed to get something out at first, so hence the 2015, and then taking that time to get to the, to the latest version. Well, let's dive into a little bit more about the specific updates uh, to the guidelines and just more importantly, how they enhance this compliance we're talking about uh, for SPDs and also for facilities just overall. Yeah. So I think the biggest thing to remember when it comes to AMI standards is um, that words mean something within the standards documentation. So if you if you see the word shall, you know that that's a requirement of the standard. So if a facility wants to say that they're compliant with ST91, if whatever topic they're looking at is in there as an action word of shall, that means they have to do that. So I always recommend to facilities to look through the whole document, search by shall, and then make sure that you're doing all of those things first because that then becomes a requirement if you state you're compliant with ST91 when you're surveyed, you're gonna be held to that. So start, do that gap analysis and look at the shalls and, and start with those first. And then move on to your shoulds because those are strong recommendations of the document based on science and literature and what we know we need to do. So um, breaking it down that way is so important and it, it gives a more manageable aspect to how, to how to create that change without biting off too much at one time because there are so many changes that I think it's, it's, um, it's really encumbering for people to, to even know where to start. So starting with what's required, of course your must, must within the document is a, is a government requirement above and beyond the standard, like a requirement of OSHA regarding PPE or bloodborne pathogen training or contaminated transport. Those are captured as a must within ST91. So of course you're gonna make sure you're doing all of that very, very first and foremost followed by those shells. So make it digestible um, because there are so many changes and, and we don't wanna overwhelm people. And there is no timeline for implementation. So what I, this is my personal recommendation, I recommend to facilities to do is that gap analysis and write a plan of how you're gonna attack this. What are you gonna do? Okay, I'm gonna start with these shell statements and I'm gonna move down from there. So at least 
if you do have a surveyor come in and say, well, you say you're compliant with SD91, but you're not, at least you have that plan yeah. in place. So, so maybe that'll help, but there's, there's no written implementation timeline. No, that's excellent advice. Well, you know, it's been a year since the new guidelines had even passed. So uh, how have you seen if any facilities start adopting these updated mm -hmm. guidelines we're talking about? What kind of progress are you seeing there? And also, um, what's been your reaction? Have you seen them become more successful uh, in their endoscope, endoscope reprocessing process? Or have you seen no changes at all? What's been kind of your outlook? Yeah, so I, uh, you always have your early adopters, right? Um, but what I see happening most frequently is we see sterile processing where they are processing endoscopes jump in first because they're used to using the AMI standards like ST79 for steam sterilization. So if they're processing scopes, you'll see them naturally embrace ST91. They're doing all of those quality initiatives anyway because of what's required in ST79. So it's a natural fit there, and we see that being embraced. They know they have to do these things. Uh, where not so much, we've, or where it's been slower for adoption, is really in your endoscopy centers or an endoscopy department within a healthcare facility where they say they comply with SGNA guidelines, as an example, which at this point are, are different in a lot of aspects than, than Amy ST91 or even the new AORN, which are pretty well aligned. Um, so it's been slower to, uh, to get those uh, changes through in those departments. But we do see movement, and I think we've come really far over the last couple years, but we still have work to do. And there's always work to be done, but it, it's good to hear that there's progress being done mm -hmm. and uh, that you can visually see that. Well, I'm going to turn this over to you now, Kelly. Uh, I would like to hear a little bit more about uh, using electronic tracking systems uh, for endoscope tracking, particularly. Uh, what does that process kind of look like? Yeah, so, you know, I highly support uh, everyone or you know, encourage everyone to have that tracking system because when you have you know, it's like our tracking system with scope tracks or scope track advanced. So you have different features and functions in there that can, uh, a lot of patient safety tools. So for example, I have to click off you know, like one processing step before I can do the next. When you just click that button to show that something was done, it gives you a date and a timestamp with your name. And if you look at Amy guidelines, it says that you're supposed to have the time mm -hmm. and the full name. And many times if it's on paper, you just see initials and rarely do you see a time. So it's there, you're more compliant, as well as then when you think of all that documentation, if you're on the dirty side and you're cleaning that scope, that's dirty paper. Mm -hmm. So now yeah. if you're electronic, you don't have dirty paper to store for three to five years or more. And, you know, and I always say, think about if you ever had a tracer or you had to go pull, you know, we didn't know all the scopes that were processed in, you know, AR number two in 2022. Well, you're going to have to sit and go through all these papers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to dig through dirty papers. <laughs> and so, like, what a great way to, you know, have this if you're using a tracking system because you can have that report in a matter of seconds. When uh, we talk about the cleaning verification test, so whether it's an ATP test or a channel check, you can document that. Um, one thing I like to see and I encourage my customers to, to use is your scopes will have different connectors when they're being um, high level disinfected. And I always recommend putting that in as your processing step so that my staff don't have to go look at a wall chart. They don't have to use instrument tape. And if the scope has red tape on it, then use the connector that has red tape. So it's things like that that you can do. 
Um, same thing with brushes, where I say put right in there what brush they're to use if you have different size brushes. So there's those safety features. Um, also helps with efficiency because now I see right here what I have to use. I don't have to go look it up. And then that whole process from point of use. So point of use is the big one within mm -hmm. SD91. That, that's a hot topic with that. And uh, right in your procedure room, they can log in. They can start typing in that serial number of that scope or scan the barcode. It'll pop up. They hit, you know, new process, point of use cleaning, and log out. So in five seconds, they just documented it. Now when it comes into your decontam area and they're going to clean that scope, they can then see when did that occur. Because if it's, you know, most, if not all, um, your manufacturers, your instructions for use will say if it's 60 minutes or more since it was the point of use, it now requires delayed processing, which is a very lengthy process. And so if you don't have that time on there, then how do you know? So with, you know, with the tracking system, you can document that. You can document that leak test, that visual inspection, the cleaning, um, your flush brush and suction, then your cleaning verification test, your high level disinfection. Um, afterwards, you should be doing you know, drying that scope, not just relying on the AER. You can document that, document it went to the storage cabinet, you can document um, which patient or procedure it was used on. So all things that are required from ST91, FDA, mm -hmm. um, all the other acronyms up <laughs> there. And you could do all that with a tracking system. And like with our system, you can do it with uh, a touch screen or your computer mouse or foot pedals. Um, we also have like an RFID wristband to do. So there's all these different things you can do and it's so much more efficient. And then, like I said, those patient safety um, along with that, if you miss one of those steps, if you're mm -hmm. out of sequence. So for example, if I process this and I set the scope there and you come along and think, you know, oh, yep, I'm going to hang in the cabinet and no, it hasn't been to the disinfector yet. When I go to scan it to the cabinet, I'm going to get a yeah. pop-up saying, uh-uh, this hasn't been disinfected. Mm -hmm. So huge patient safety tools there. Yeah. No, there's a lot of built-in processes that help with efficiency, but also to catch uh, things like that, that might, if it was with a paper tracking system, you would have taken that and put it right away. Uh, well, you know, Mary Ann, I want to ask you if there's anything to add in terms of electronic tracking of endoscopes um, to add on to what Kelly was speaking to and just how it aligns with the new Amy standards. Yeah, you were spot on. I mean, <laughs> yeah, I, know. Just, I don't think you missed anything. You covered it <laughs> Can all. Can you tell but... I'm like very passionate about this <laughs> No, whole that was, yes, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, I think that, that she really stated it well. And, and we like to say if it's not documented, it wasn't done. So having that automat automated date and timestamp is so important. Yep. Because as you said, it can get missed when you're doing your paper logs. And I'd like to echo the, what you stressed with the time between the pre-cleaning, uh, the point of use treatment to manual cleaning within that one hour. It's not only um, a recommendation within ST91, it's, it, there's an Olympus statement on it. So it's really made its way into all the guidelines that that needs to be documented for the point of use treatment time and that information conveyed to your reprocessing staff. So how do you do that in this instance? It's right there in your electronic record. So mm -hmm. I do appreciate that that's done because we know these steps have to be done sequentially and timely. And that's a big thing that we see, especially in a uh, centralized processing area where 
you know, might not be right there in the endoscopy suite, or it's not only downstairs, but it's down the street. So we have these time delays that happen, and it's great to have all of that documented. Um, and I love the fact that you can put your cleaning verification results in there. That's a big one. We've come a long way over the years with the electronic tracking systems and, and being able to document that now that it's a requirement of the standard to test with a cleaning verification product for every high-risk endoscope, it's so convenient to have that mm -hmm. in there. And then also testing a statistically significant portion of your non-high risk. So if you're a high-volume facility or a low-volume facility, you're still going to have to do that for your non-high risk scopes, which is basically your uppers and lowers. Um, everything else at this point is I would consider high risk. And we have that list of what's high risk in ST91. It's your duodenoscopes, bronchs, alt linear ultrasound scopes, endobronchial ultrasound scopes, cystoscopes, ureteroscopes, those being sterilized. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, it's really great to have all of that documentation in there too, as proof that those steps were actually performed and in a timely fashion. And yeah. what I like about what, sorry, no, uh, with no, the electronic no. tracking system is then you have that reporting. Yes. So for example, um, many of my customers, I will say to them, uh, you know, are you documenting your cleaning verification fails? And they're like, no. And I go, so you don't oh. document? And I'm hearing, nope. They said, no, we just start the process over. And so I'm like, and that's this is like they're on paper. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you've got to get this in some to track. Mm -hmm. You've got to document those fails. Well, we never have ones fail. And I said, that's all the more reason why you want those fails documented. Because then you look for patterns and trends. Is it the same person? Okay, mm -hmm. they, need, they may need some more training. Is it the same scope model? Maybe I need the rep to come do mm -hmm. another in-service with my staff. Or is it the same scope, model, and serial number? Mm. There's something going on with that scope. We need to send it in for a repair or evaluation because there's something going on that, that it keeps failing and takes you know two times to mm -hmm. get it to pass. Yeah. So like you have to record those fails. And then you know we, we joke about you don't want to be that hospital that's in the news. But there's some truth to that along with, yes, we want to keep our patients safe, but we also don't want to be called out on something. Mm -hmm. And so many times when that happens, you hear, you know, they had to send a letter to, you know, 2000 patients. You may have been. Well, how nice if you have a tracking system. And if we know that it was, you know, this AER number mm -hmm. two, I can go run a report and it was only this scope that there was an issue with. I can go run that report, this scope, this AER and see what patients was it used on. Yeah. Now I've just narrowed that rather than 5,000 patients, I've narrowed it down to 1,000. Yeah. And it's so nice to have that reassurance. Otherwise, you you know, all that panic that goes mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. um, Wow. I mean, th those are definitely things that like it goes beyond just keeping uh, track of the data uh, within your own hospital. I, I mean, it expands uh, in so many different ways. Well, uh, before we start closing up uh, the conversation here, what would you say maybe to other hospitals who are looking to meet uh, these new standards and guidelines that we're talking about when it comes to any ST91? Uh, and but also at the end of the day, just better their endoscope uh, reprocessing process. I mean, what would you say to them? So my three things that I really focus on is that point of use cleaning. Mm -hmm. Make sure you're doing that. And that is something that you can do. I mean, they can do that right now. Um, with with SenseTrack or ScopeTrack Advanced, all they have to do is just have it installed in the procedure room, have it installed in the computer. Now they've got it. Doesn't cost anything. Then next would be that cleaning verification test. Make sure you're documenting pass or fail. You know, mm -hmm. get that in there. And then drying. 
So, so many hospitals do not dry the scope after the AER. And it's like, oh no, I don't have to because the AER does it. And so I explained to them, okay, but you know how when it comes out, it's wet and you dry the outside? Imagine what that lumen looks like on the inside. If you couldn't even dry it on the outside, mm -hmm. how well did you get was able to dry it on the inside? Yeah. And um, I'm very happy to see that more and more facilities, they are purchasing either drying cabinets with connectors mm -hmm. or they have the, um, the like a drying pump. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what's that word? <laughs> um, where they can, you know, hook it up and it will just dry it for them. Mm -hmm. So really happy to see kind of those, yeah, you know, some of those changes. But I think that's like, that's my three things that I keep. Basic starting point. Yep. Yeah. And then I was telling them, do, do what you can do right now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So yes, it's one thing when you have to, you know, put a capital request in. It's one mm -hmm. thing when you need to purchase things. What can you do right now? Yeah. To better your facility. I mean, right away. Why, why wait? Marianne. Yeah, those are great points start with those low-hanging fruit, yep. right? And and you see those changes being implemented right away. I'm gonna take it from a little bit broader of a perspective, and those are three great ways to start. Um, but for, for a facility that hasn't embraced ST91 at all, I think, as I said earlier, it can be overwhelming. So I recommend, as does the standard, putting together a multidisciplinary team to just look at the standard first and see you really digest what it says and then put together that gap analysis. Where are you not in compliance with ST91? Knock out those low hanging fruits that you can get to right away without having to make capital purchases. Um, and then, as I said earlier, look at those musts and those shells and work your way down from there because those are really going to be your heavy hitters for compliance. Um, so a way to make it manageable and less stressful for mm -hmm. facilities. but. I echo the, you can already track that time for point of use. You can already, hopefully, you're doing something for cleaning verification. <laughs> so check your intervals on that. And drying is so, so critical in the process because we, we have documented evidence of bacteria surviving high-level disinfection. Well, if you put them in a wet environment for storage, they're going to grow logarithmically, expanding, doubling every generation time. So we quickly have a recontaminated overgrowth in scopes that are stored wet. So great points, Kelly. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, that wraps up the conversation for today. So thank you ladies for joining us on this podcast today to talk about the new Amy ST91 standards. It certainly learned a lot, a lot of actionable advice. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. And as always, if you'd like to learn more, please visit census.com and look for this podcast wherever it is you get your podcasts at. I've been your host, Gabrielle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you.